You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. My name is Sherry, and I have the privilege of serving as an usher here. And today's scripture passage is from Matthew 6, 19 to 34 from the NIV. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are not much more valuable than they. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, where, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. Thank you, Sherry. You can put that. Okay, great. Thanks. We are in the final month of our series through the most famous sermon ever preached. And it is fascinating to me that in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus deals with these massive topics like the law of God and ethics and morals, that so much time is spent on the topic of worry. And so we must give our utmost attention to what Jesus says to us all and why on this issue. Let me pray for us together that whether you're new to faith, you're here for the first time, you're a Christian forever, let's pray and let's invite God to speak to us and to change us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are aware of and concerned with all the things that concern us. 
You're aware of all that consumes our thoughts, our hopes, our fears, our desires, our worries. And so we ask this morning that you would speak in to those issues, speak into the matters of our heart. And we pray for a radical reorientation of our thinking today, a reorientation of our heart as you make us aware of our need and draw us to yourself. May we trust you and may we find freedom from worry as we put you first in our life. I pray that for myself and I pray that for everyone here. May you do that work by the spirit of God and lead us to Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. And everyone said, amen. Well, it was the great Winston Churchill who said, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened which is an interesting statement because it raises the question, what good has worrying ever, ever done? Some years back, my wife bought a book for me called uh, The Anxiety Cure. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, when your spouse buys you a book, you know, like your wife, your husband's like, here's a book on servanthood. You're like, oh, okay. Clearly I need this. And what fascinated me about the book is the author did so much research and even did a huge survey of what people worry about. And he broke it up into a list of percentages. And he said, real legitimate concerns, that's about 8%. Health-related worries, it's a good 12. Petty miscellaneous worries, 19%. Things that happened in the past that cannot be changed, 30%. Things that never happen, 40%. Now, this really hits home for me. I'm not normally a competitive person, but I think I could outworry every single one of you. I worry all the time. I was even asked to preach at another church in the last year about worried, which worried me because I was like, do they think I'm a worrier? <laughs> like, what is that I'm worried? But even if you're not as dramatic as me, everyone deals with worry. And as we look around the world, there seems to be a lot to worry about. There's wars going on everywhere. We read about them every day. There's a lot that we worry about within our own nation, like what's happening in our country. And then we look at our own lives. We worry about our relationships. We worry about family. We worry about our, our children. We worry about so many things. And yet in the midst of all of this, Jesus Christ says, do not worry. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. And it's repeated three times in this passage alone. Something huge is at stake when it comes to worry. And I want you to see this morning that it is connected to what we treasure, what we value, what we are seeking after. And so to begin, he rounds out his teaching on prayer that we looked at last week with a statement on fasting, which is connected to seeking. 
He says in verse 16 and 18, if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, as he said with prayer, which we noted last week, seeking God in fasting, which is what fasting is about, abstaining from food or other things in order to seek after God, he says it's not a performance and it's not a payment. It is a pathway to seeking after him and he will reward you according to his will. And then immediately after that, he speaks specifically about what our hearts are after. I want you to see the connection. He says in verse 19 to 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you are investing in will consume, your your thought life will consume what's going on in your heart. And so Jesus is asking us, what do we really value? Do we value treasure on earth that is perishable, like money and possessions or achievement or treasure in heaven, which is imperishable. That is investing in things that have eternal and lasting kingdom significance. And he raises that issue of what we're seeking to obtain in the future because it has everything to do with the direction of our lives now. Look at what he says in verse 22 to 24. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. To drive this point home, Jesus uses a... a, A very simple metaphor, the eye being the lamp of the body. A modern parallel would be the headlights on a car. Just as the eyes are not only a window to the soul, but they actually are crucial to us going where we need to go. In the same way, the headlights on a car, they they need to be lit up and they will guide the direction that we are headed. If we are connected to the light source of Jesus Christ, then our headlights will be bright, as it were, and we will see the path that we are to go down. We will know the direction we are to take. We will avoid danger. But if Jesus is not the light source of our lives, then we're filled with darkness, and then our pathway will also be dark, and it will lead to disaster. We will lose our way. How does this happen? We darken our hearts when we treasure anything above Jesus Christ. And one of the most common competitors for Christ in our heart is money. 
And so Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. It's a warning. When we overvalue created things over the creator, it leads to disaster. And listen, one of the ways to determine what you are really seeking after, what you really value, is by examining what you worry about. You know, we all have, most of us on our phones, some kind of data that records not only how much you're using your phone, but in what ways you use your phone. So mine has the pie chart, right? You spent this much time on, you know, social media, this much time on your, your mail. You spent this much time on this or that, like a utility or whatever. Imagine if your, not only your thought life, but your worry life. Imagine if that produced every week, like a report. Here's what you worried about. Uh-oh. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh no. It would be very telling because it would reveal what we're really seeking after and what we really value. This morning, I want us to see the connection between Jesus' teaching on seeking and treasure and how it relates to our worries. The Sermon on the Mount is an exposition of life in God's kingdom, what it looks like when the reign of God comes into your life. For the followers of Jesus are meant to live very different lives. And so, what do we learn here from Christ that enables us to seek true treasure and helps us to disarm worry? Well, there's three things you need to know, three truths you need to take to heart if we are to be free from worry. And the first thing you need to know is very simple, but absolutely essential. Worry literally makes no sense at all whatsoever. It is not accidental that Jesus begins by using the wisdom of basic human experience. And he begins with several obvious but important illustrations. He says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will drink, what you will eat about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So he begins by addressing these common areas of worry. Food, clothing. He goes on to talk about time. Is not life about more than these things? Now, some clarification is needed so that we don't misunderstand Jesus. He does not exclude these things from life. Nor is he saying that we shouldn't think about these things at all. Nor is he saying that you shouldn't buy these things. What he's saying is that we should not value them so much that we become consumed with worry. We should not be thinking about them so much. They shouldn't be so important that we find ourselves just constantly mulling these things over and over and over again in our minds. For is not life more than this? Isn't there something greater that we should be seeking after? 
And then I love this. He says, learn from the birds. And if you have an imagination like mine when I read the, the Bible, I just picture like the crowds there and Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And like as soon as he says, learn from the birds, like a bird just flies in the sky, like, oh, you know, Jesus is like, learn from the birds. And that's speculation. But look at what he says, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, let's be clear. Jesus is not promising exemption from work. So for those of you who struggle with laziness, you're like, I don't worry about a thing. I don't do anything. Like, okay, there's another teaching for you that'll come later. So don't say, that's why I'm I'm quitting my job today. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not promising exemption from work. After all, the birds of the air are some of the most active creatures. They work. It's not that they don't go and find their food. The point is this. God has created a world and set it up so that they can find the food they're looking for. He's a wonderful creator. He's created a system in which they can obtain food. And then he says, are you not much more valuable than they? Which is a subtle rebuke to us. That the most important creatures in the world, us, have forgotten the most basic thing. We are created and loved by God. He then addresses time. What does worry actually achieve? He says it bluntly in verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the obvious answer is no. But the ironic answer is it might actually take an hour from your life. See, the opposite is true with worry. It gives nothing, and it takes many things. See, think about what's happening in worry. Usually, it follows this circular path that goes nowhere. Like, oh no, what do I do? And then if I do this, and then this happens, and then all this happens, and we're doomed. And then you're back to square one, and then you worry all over again. Why do we do it? Well, it's deceptive because for some reason, maybe we feel productive as if we're going to solve all of our problems with worry, but it never delivers. I don't know who said this quote, but I'll never forget it. Worry is described as interest paid in advance on a debt you may never owe. (laughs) I know, I'll pay interest on a loan I'm never going to take out. That's a good idea. That's a terrible, who of you in the world of finance would ever do such a thing? No one. And yet, is that not what we do with worry? For many of us, worry feels like an addiction, like you just can't help it. You just keep going back to it like an addiction. But by standard definitions, worry is not like your traditional addiction because usually, Giving in to an addiction, there's some sort of temporary pleasure or hit before you feel terrible, right? If you're addicted to a substance, a lot of 
you know, substance abuse, there's like an initial high and then you feel terrible later. Maybe some of you who are more domestic in your addictions, it's Netflix. You're like, oh, it's a great idea to binge eight hours on Netflix. But afterwards, who feels amazing after eight hours on Netflix? No one. It's like three in the morning. You're like, I don't even know who I am. <laughs> and Netflix is like, are you still there? You're like, yes, I'm still here. <laughs> but unlike any other addiction, Worry is bad from the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Whoever said, like, what did you do this weekend? Oh, it was great. I worried. And it was awesome. What did you do this morning? I worried. I recorded my worry. You know, people have their fitness apps. Like, oh, yeah, I worried for a good hour and 15. And someone's like, oh, yeah, I worried for an hour and a half. Like, oh, so good. Nobody feels good about worrying. Now, it is important to be clear that Jesus is not prohibiting planning or foresight. So again, just a little side rebuke for those of you who are like, perfect, I hate making plans. I'm never making a plan again. Thank you, Reality Ventura. That's not what Jesus is saying. There are many scriptures that speak to the issue of wise planning over and over and over again. And so it is unfortunate that there's a few English translations that render this passage, give no thought. That's not accurate. There is a right kind of care. There is a right kind of concern that we ought to have. Like a dashboard light in your car going off, alerting you so that you might give your attention to what's going on underneath the hood. There's nothing wrong with a right kind of concern. If someone said your relative is in danger and you're like, don't worry about it. You're like, well, okay. There's a right kind of concern. However, very quickly and very easily, it goes wrong. When we become consumed with speculation, so much of our worries about speculation right? If this happens, then this will happen, then this will happen, and then these five things will happen, then these 27 things will happen, and life is over. Speculation. How many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow? No one. Our care goes wrong when it's filled with speculation, and then it's exaggeration. It's the worst thing ever! Like, okay, let's take it down a notch. And then, There's aggravation. We become irritated by it all. So here's my definition. Worry is care gone wrong. Worry is care gone wrong. And it makes no sense at all whatsoever. Another way to say it is an over-concern or an inordinate concern that distracts us, divides us, and debilitates us. And there are many side effects. It results in irrational fears, heightened irritability, even physical tension, like your body reacts to it, emotional strain, and mental distress. Friends, we need to listen to Jesus when he says, it doesn't add anything to your life. Worrying, however productive it might feel in the moment, 
does nothing for you. It doesn't give. It only takes. It makes no sense at all whatsoever. That's the first truth that we need to take to heart. When worry comes into your life, when it comes into my life, is this, it makes no sense for me to worry. But that's not the only truth we need to hear. Because there's actually a deeper truth. Number one, worry does not make sense. But number two, worry is an enemy of your faith. Worry is an enemy of faith. And to understand why this is, Jesus begins to go on. And this time, he doesn't appeal only to nature, but what scripture says about nature. He says in verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith? So notice what Jesus is doing here. He's addressing our practical need for food and clothing, but also our over-concern when our care goes wrong. See, faith is meant to be connected to every single part of your life. It's not to be disconnected from even the most ordinary aspects of your daily life. I say this because it would be very easy for us to think that somehow Jesus is like anti-aesthetic, always suspicious of something beautiful or like you buy an extra hoodie or something. He's like, well, 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 look who had to go to Kohl's today. (laughs) Hope you feel good about yourself. (laughs) But if that were so, he would not use the example of Solomon, who was... If you read the Bible, one of the great rulers, David's son in the ancient kingdom of Israel, who was one of the richest men in the ancient world, who would have been clothed in the finest apparel of his day. And yet he's got nothing on the flowers that God created. Now, I struggle to be like a nature person. Some of you are like, that'll get you kicked out of Ventura County. But my wife God bless her. My wife always draws my attention to God's created world. Like the other day, she was like worshiping God over the creation of an orange. She's like, they come as you peel them back. They're pre-sliced for us. God foresaw, foreknew, and he planned that the orange slice by slice would be enjoyed by his people. I'm like, I don't like oranges. (laughs) She's like, you're worthless. (laughs) She's always helping me to see like the beauty of nature. And when I actually pay attention, I'm like, my goodness, look at that. Look at the detail. Look at how God has created and ordered his world. It's amazing. Just the flowers themselves are absolutely stunning. God's like, I want this flower to have this kind of a hue and this kind of a red and this kind of a design. We worship a wonderfully creative God. Amen? It's incredible. Jesus is saying like, look, look around you. God didn't only create a functional universe. He created a beautiful, beautiful 
world. He's the one that created this for his glory and for our good. He's the one that feeds us. He's the one that clothes us. And I love, by the way, how Jesus essentially is referencing God as both the the baker and the tailor. (laughs) He provides the bread that you need and he provides the clothes that you need. So then, if you worry about these things, what kind of faith are you displaying? Little faith. And that's not a compliment. It's not like Jesus saying, oh, little faith, little faith, you have a little faith. It's a condemnation. He's saying, you're not trusting. You're not trusting the God who made you. Since God does so much for these, these flowers, these plants that are here today, gone tomorrow, how much more will he look after you? It's a trust issue. To be a follower of Jesus is to know and believe that you have a God who cares for you, values you more than you could ever possibly imagine. So, to worry is to act like you don't. To worry is where we, as believers, are tempted to act like unbelievers. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Worry's not only not good for you, it's actually an affront to God. It disregards him altogether. One author called it practical atheism. To put all these things before God is an enemy of faith. And we need to be honest with ourselves this morning and recognize how are we viewing worry right now? Is it just like, oh, it's not so bad. Like there are other sins out there that I need to deal with, but worry, it's totally fine. Everybody does it. That's not how Jesus talks about it. It's an enemy of our faith that dishonors God. It refuses, when we give ourselves over into worry, we are refusing to trust a God who loves us and cares for us more than we could possibly imagine. Worry literally makes no sense, does nothing good for you at all, whatever. It only takes. But deeper than that, worry is an enemy of your faith. It dishonors God. And so what do we do? Well, thirdly, you need to know that worry is a matter of the heart. Jesus treats the issue of worry as a choice. It's a choice, and that is why it's a matter of the heart. And the reason the stakes are so high is because worry is connected to what we choose to worship and what we choose to seek after in our lives. If our sense of security and stability revolves around what we most desire, we need to ask, well, what are we seeking after? So Jesus says in verse 31 to 32, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. The Gentiles, those who do not worship God, they are not seeking after God. Rather, they are putting their trust in the here and now. They are trusting in money and in earthly treasure and in 
possessions and in fame or applause or success in this life. People who have not accepted God's reign, they must supply for themselves. Ultimately, worry is a worship problem. The worry problem is a worship problem. For those who believe that this life alone is most important, then anxiety and worry will be the norm. Here's why. We were never meant to build our lives on what this life alone can supply. We were meant to build our lives on the one who created everything. What do we really value? What are we really worshiping? An important exercise for me is one I would recommend to you. After you've been through a situation where you find yourself constantly worrying, ask yourself, what was I trusting in so much that led me to worry so much? Like literally writing it down. What am I seeking after so much? What am I banking on so much that led me to the state of constant worry. You need to examine your worries. It's not enough just to say, I'm worrying right now. You need to ask the why question. Why am I worried? Because listen, the wrong kind of care comes from the wrong kind of kingdom. Our cares go wrong when we're trying to build a different kind of kingdom the kingdom of this world, our own kingdom, and not the kingdom of God. So often when I examine my worries, I realize that I'm trusting in other people. I'm trusting in money. I mean, let's be honest. One of the reasons Jesus talks about money so much is because so many of us in this room, when we worry, we often worry about money. I mean, let's be real. How many of us would would think that if we got home from church today and there was a giant bag of cash On our doorstep, we're like, that solves 99% of my problems. (laughs) I want to go to that kind of church that promises me that. Well, not going to find it here because the Bible doesn't teach it. It's another teaching. (laughs) We worry about it. We're trusting in it. If I only had this thing, everything would be okay. And whatever that thing is, is if it's other than God and you're not getting it, your life's going to be a shambles. It's gonna be a shambles. When we are worrying in the face of all that God has said about himself, all that God has done in the past, all that God is doing now, all that he's promised to do in the future, then we are in fact seeking our stability and our security in something other than him. And we wonder why we experience so much anxiety and instability in our lives. I'll never forget the time when my youngest daughter, back when they were little, she was trying to, we were living in London at the time, we had these really tall bookshelves and she was trying to get something from like the top of the bookshelf and of all the items in the household that she could choose to use as a tool to climb, she chose a ball. Of all the, the, the objects, she chose a sphere that by its very nature it rolls. And she's like, I can't get, I know, I got it. And she's like, puts the ball and then she gets on and she's like, oh, like I can't get it. I'm like, you're on a ball. You weren't meant to stand on the ball. 
And it was as if in that moment on that day, the Holy Spirit's like, Tim, that's how your life is when you're building on anything other than God's kingdom. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a lesson. (laughs) You know those moments? The Holy Spirit like, this lesson's not for your kid, it's for you. And you're like, cut to the heart, like, ah. I build my life. I find my stability and security in things other than Jesus Christ. I'm like, oh, the money's gonna do it for all oh, this thing. If we just have the right position, if we just have the right people in our lives. And then as I'm doing that, all of a sudden, because it by nature is an unstable foundation, I wonder why, I'm like, God, why is my life so crazy right now? It's like, you're standing on a ball. You're building your life on something you were never meant to build your life upon. To use biblical language, we make an idol out of something when we trust in it for our security and stability more than God. It could even be good things. Your family is a wonderful thing. Your kids are an amazing things. They were, you were never meant to worship your children. You were never meant to worship your parents. You were never meant to worship your friends. You were never meant to worship money. You were never meant to worship your career. When you do that, you try to build your life on them. And if they show any crack, then you're undone. Jesus rebukes us here by saying we need something greater to build our lives upon. And here's the key, verse 33 and 34. Seek first. This is the solution to our worries. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And everyone said, amen. (laughs) He's saying, come under my gracious rule and follow my ways. When it says seek first the kingdom of God, he's saying, when you get up in the morning, you don't just go as your act of devotion and read the news. Many of us are like, Bible, yeah, whatever, Psalm 23, yay, do I walk through, whatever. And then anyway, I'm gonna read the news and we devote ourselves with our coffee and we're like, ah! And it feeds us and we go to it for nourishment, like what the story that the world is telling us. Jesus says, no, seek first my kingdom and then Righteousness, which means right living, as we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount, meaning your number one priority in life is to say, Jesus, you're my king. You are the Lord over my day and over my life. Help me to live rightly in this world gone mad. That's what I'm gonna seek after. That's what I want to fill my thoughts. And notice this promise. Then all these things will be given to you as, as well. God's not rebuking you for like needing food or clothes. Like, oh, you hungry? Get over it. Like, I'm sorry, Jesus. Like, that's not what he's saying. When he says, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, don't ask what you're gonna eat, he's not saying when you go out for lunch today, like, you know, what do you wanna eat? Like, oh, don't, don't ask that question. <laughs> In fact, if I can dramatize the point when Jesus says, don't ask, what shall we eat? It's not asking about what do you want off the menu. It's what are we gonna eat? What are we going to wear? It's this kind of despair. Like, man, if we don't have that thing, we're nothing. That's what Jesus is rebuking here. But instead, he gives us an alternative. Make that choice to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And one of the ways in which we can do that is moment by moment in prayer. Listen, I cannot stop myself from worrying. Worries coming into my mind. 
but I can choose the alternative when those worries come, and that is to pray them. Pray your worries. Moments of worry and moments of anxiety, though we can't stop them from coming, we do have a choice with what we do with them. As I often tell my daughters, you can't stop a bird flying over your head, but you can stop them from what? Building a nest. So what do I do with them when they come? Paul the Apostle gives us a wonderful application of what Jesus teaches here in the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what does that look like practically, friends? Here are three ways you can kill your worries with prayer. Kill your worries with prayer. First, pray continually. You don't just have to wait for the ultimate opportune time. You can pray anywhere at any time. Every day, every morning, God's mercies are new. We can pray no matter where you are or what situation that you're in. Jesus doesn't only say stop worrying. He points us to himself. And the way in which we experience him is by praying to him. Pray continually. And second, pray specifically. Don't be vague or generic with your prayers. Right? If you're worrying for an hour and then you go to your time of prayer and it's like, Jesus, just bless me. Amen. It's It's as if the Lord is like, hey, do you want to talk to me about all the stuff that you just thought about literally for the last hour? Why don't you bring those things to me? Turn your worry list into a prayer list. If you find yourself in that battle of worrying, write those things down and then turn it into a prayer list. Like, God, I'm gonna get specific with you. And this is something I've been recently encouraged in. The other, it was a Sunday, it was a few weeks ago. I was, I was so worried about some very specific things early in the morning. It was like tormenting my thoughts. And I kind of just prayed like, Lord, just help. And I just kind of moved back to worrying. And it was as if the Holy Spirit prompted me like, hey, get specific with me. And so I like, I, I spent time and I was like, okay, Lord, this is exactly what I'm afraid of. This is exactly what I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I'm pleading for you to do, please, Lord. And I just, I got very specific with God about several things that morning. And by the end of that day, God answered every single one of my prayers, though not in a way that I originally anticipated, as is often the case with prayer. He answered every single one of those prayers. Now, it doesn't always happen in that way. Does God always answer prayer? Yes, but it's not always in the way that we think or in the timing that we want. But the point is, I found freedom in my own heart in that moment as I chose to get specific and personal with God. And that's the invitation for us. Pray continually, pray specifically. And third, pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. How can you pray when you're tempted to worry and it seems like everything's falling apart? How can you pray thankfully? Here's the key. When you leave your requests with God. But if you're anything like me, 
Have you ever delegated a job to someone you're not confident that they're gonna do well? It's like teaching my kids chores. I'm like, okay, here's the thing. Okay, you got it? Okay, you got it? No, you don't. Yeah, you got it. I'm just gonna stay right here. I'm like, Dad, let me do it. I'm like, no, oh, no, no, I, 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 I got it, I got it. You, you do it, but I got it at the same time. That's often how I treat God. Here you go, Lord, I'm giving you my request. Like, here's, here's, here's my list of requests. And he's like, okay. I'm like, there you go, got it? Okay, no, I don't, I don't know if you got it, so I'm still gonna hang on to it a little bit. You get, you get 50%, Lord, I'll get the other 50, because I think I might do a better job at that. I'm not leaving it with him. And therefore, how can I be thankful? But you can be thankful when you remember how good God is, and you leave it with him. See, friends, what we need to do is remember what Christ has done for us. Remember his care for us. Jesus, in the gospel, provides for us the true clothing that we need, the true food that we need. That's what the gospel is all about. We were in need of covering for our sin and our shame. So what did Jesus do? The Son of God came into our world, and he was stripped of all that he had when he went to the cross to die in our place for all of our sins, and then he rose again to give us his righteousness as a gift through faith. We are clothed in his beauty. We are fed by his provision. And so this perspective changes how we see everything. When we're worried, will I be safe? Listen, you wanna talk about security? Build your life on Jesus Christ and not even death and Satan can overcome it. Will I be valued? You wanna talk about value? Look at the price that Jesus paid for you. How can I trust him? Jesus sought you when you were not seeking him. Jesus cared about you when you did not care for him. And yet he went all the way to the cross and into the grave and out of the grave and rose again all for you. Seek the one who has already sought you. If you're not yet a Christian this morning, today is the day to trust him as your Lord and Savior and put your faith in him and not in anything this world can provide. It's the only thing that will save you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you believe, listen, you believe that God has rescued you from eternal destruction, delivered you from the power of spiritual darkness. He's given you eternal life, the presence of his Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, but you don't think he's gonna get you through the week. It's ridiculous. If God has already provided for our greatest need, how much more can we trust him for every other need? And so the apostle Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Let's deal with our worry problem by worshiping God. The worries of my heart are healed through the worship of God. And he's made a way for us to do so through Christ. So let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would respond to your spirit's conviction and comfort. That we would acknowledge worry for the sin that it is. Confess it to you, knowing that you don't convict us to shame us, but to heal us and to set us free. I pray that we would choose to put you first, to seek you first. I pray that we would trust you and not in lesser things. 
And I pray that even now in this moment, we would take advantage of the opportunity we have to sing and to take communion and to pray practical means by which we can experience this peace and freedom from our worries. So Lord Jesus, we choose by faith to put you first, to build for your kingdom, to live according to your ways, trusting you that all of our needs will be provided for along the way. Spirit of God, come, set us free as we seek you first. We ask this in Jesus' name.